take first watch. And welcome to an all-new episode of the First Watch Podcast. This week, I'm joined by Cole, and he and I are going to be cracking into a classic Costa Gavras Z. Z is a political thriller from 1969, and it was directed, again, by the Greek director, Costa Gavras. It is an adaptation of a Greek novel of the same name, and it's a movie that touches with history in a great many ways. And it's also a movie that, even though it is well-celebrated and it is currently in the top 250 movies of all time on Letterboxd, not necessarily widespread and seen on the level of a movie like Oliver Stone's JFK, even though perhaps we both feel that it should be. And because that's true, we are also sensitive to the fact that some listeners may not have seen the film. And so we're going to try to keep today's conversation a little more spoiler-free And in fact, it's going to be different than some of the episodes we've done in the past, because while Z will be the basis of our conversation, what we really want to unpack and dig into is the historical context of this movie and how understanding things like history, politics, and culture can really enhance the experience of watching a film. And we want to kind of provide the context of this movie and also sort of show why this is a practice that can really evolve the way that you think, feel, and experience other films. And something that touches many movies that, Cole, I know that you love and that that you've recommended to me. And a lot of the things that you and I both really enjoy tend to be based on this sort of thing. And just to prove that, we've only been doing this show for a little period of time, but all of the movies that we've covered so far, Jackie, in a really obvious way, is about historical events. And that film ties its historical events to Abraham Lincoln. You know, it's, it's not just about one history, but the way that history is cyclical. We talked about two different Shakespeare adaptations. Each one is designed to show how certain ideas are paralleled throughout time. Like West Side Story is an adaptation of Romeo and Juliet that's rooted in a New York story about racism and gentrification. Macbeth is itself the play, I mean, the Shakespeare play, is a period piece about Scotland, which is about how these Machiavellian machinations recur throughout history. And then, of course, like we did an episode on licorice pizza. And even though that's just a nice little romance story, it touches up with 70s California history, the oil crisis, and a number of other things. And the oil in that movie should make you think about there will be blood and how that is informed by history. And so it's really the case that a lot of great film is defined by this. And the reason for this conversation, and Cole, I want to turn it over to you in just a second, is because I think that what films do is they present history as opposed to always being able to explain it. And what I mean by that is that most audiences don't like to be lectured when they're watching a movie. Costa Gavras, in particular, with the film Z, said that when he directed it, not only did he want to make it entertaining, but he didn't want to leave the audience a ton of time to think about outside things. It's a movie that's incredibly fast paced and is rooted in its characters, the plot, everything that they're going through. And I think that that's a really interesting angle because what it highlights is that you can't always expect to watch a movie and immediately understand the history that it is presenting you with. And that there is some responsibility, well, 
not necessarily responsibility, but if you really want to get the most out of what you're watching, you have to do a little bit of the legwork, do a little bit of the research. And I think good movies, great movies like Z are important because they make you want to do exactly that. Because if you're compelled by this movie and you're curious about the history, you're going to look it up. And that's what this conversation is all about. So you recommended this movie to me. Why? What made you think to do that? What about it was interesting to you? Uh, I remember we were having a conversation, I think it was about a different European political thriller, Investigation of a Citizen Under Suspicion. And I remember saying, hey, have you seen Z? And you hadn't, so you went and watched it. And I found it interesting to introduce this movie, despite the fact that when it came out at the time, it was a smash hit. It was part of the zeitgeist. It struck a chord in America to the point where it became only the second movie in history at the time to be nominated for both Best Foreign Language Film and Best Picture at the Academy Awards. It ended up winning Best Foreign Language Film and Best Editing at the time. It received a couple of other nominations, became a huge hit. But it was interesting to introduce it to you and by extension to everyone listening to the podcast as well who hasn't seen it considering that not only was it huge at the moment and that it was a moment, but that it was riding a wave of politically charged cinema and became sort of the crest on the top of that wave. And so just for a little bit of context, this would have been the 1970 Oscars. The best picture that year was Midnight Cowboy. It was also, Z was also up against Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. This is the year of the original True Grit with John Wayne the year of they shoot horses, don't they? So like, that's a really interesting historical note to understand what a cultural breakthrough it had here in America. And I think that that's attributable to the fact that Gavras really emphasized how gripping it is to just sit and watch this movie because it's about two hours long, but it feels like it's got four hours of movie content in it because of the way that it absolutely blitzes its plot. It completely flies by. I mean, it feels like you're watching it in 30 minutes, particularly because of the editing style, just snap, 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 snap. You just get basically hit on the head, uh, no pun intended, repeatedly with all this information and you're trying to process it while Costa Gavras is, you know, driving 100 miles an hour and you can't keep up. There's a great bit on one of the interviews on the Criterion DVD, and it's also available on the Criterion channel, where he's talking about this exact thing, trying to pace the movie. And he's like, I did I did use some elliptical editing techniques. And it's like, yeah, man, every scene has an elliptical cut. <laughs> there, there are so many points. The movie, particularly in its back half, revolves around an investigation. And there are a lot of shot counter shot conversations. So you'll see one person talking, second person talking, one person talking, and then it'll cut back and it won't be person two anymore. It will be a different person in a different context, a new conversation that is just seamlessly stitched into the first one. And it jumps forward hours, days, and weeks into the future at times, which is a really interesting way to present this story, which is, as we've already heavily alluded to, based in real world history and real world politics. Costa Gavras was a Greek expatriate after World War II, Greece was a place that had been occupied by the Nazis and really run through the ringer. And at that time in the 1960s, it was run by basically a police state, military juntas, which we would consider to be 
fascistic in nature. And, and guess Ruff, who like, they were supported by? Who's that? The good old United States of America. Costa Gavras, like many artists under many different fascistic regimes, like Louis Buñuel um, and others, fled his home country to France. Uh, I also think of Christoph Kieslowski, although that was more about funding than that was yeah. actually after the fall of the Soviet Union. He couldn't yeah. really get films made. And so a lot of filmmakers, when they leave their home country, go to France uh, because the film scene there at, during this time and in the current day is so developed for artists of this nature. And so Gavras flees a political situation in his home country, goes to France. He is forwarded a copy of the novel Z, which is, I mean, the bravery of the novel Z alone to be tackling some of the historical issues that it's tackling is huge. But then to go and to make a film version of this that is released to the European population at the time when this regime was still very much in place is ballsy. And just to take it a step further, one of the things that I love about Z a lot is that it opens with a pretty commonplace title card. And usually in a movie like this, it's like the title card will say any depictions of people are fictional, any representations or similarities to real life people is coincidental. And this movie flips that on its head by being like, everything in this movie is intentional. <laughs> if it reminds you of somebody we meant for it to. And to no one's surprise, the movie was banned in Greece until the military hunter fell in 1974. Considering that it is such a popular film in the West, it was very successful in France, where it was co-produced. And it is Greek director, Greek novel. It probably will go down as one of the most vital documents of Greek film history. And you can always kind of tell when something's going to do that, when it gets banned in its own country. When we were planning on this podcast, you, of course, also recommended Buñuel's Viridiana, which is a movie that he made and then immediately was exiled. He was blacklisted by the Vatican. And you can always just sort of tell when somebody's really got the temperature of their fascist government when it gets banned or the director is exiled or murdered. Yeah, he pissed off Franco, then he had to ex then he exiled to Mexico, then went back to France. France is basically just like home for all of these exile directors because they'll take anybody in and they'll fund anybody, which kind of does make them the heart of European filmmaking. And so what's interesting with Z is that it was in part funded by France, and then it was, I believe, majority funded by Algeria. And it was also filmed entirely in Algeria, although with French actors and in the French language. So it's a true blue co-production between the two countries. But what makes that interesting, one is just Algeria's burgeoning film scene in the 60s coming off the back of the Battle of Algiers. And then two, the idea of these two countries, France and Algeria, co-producing this movie after like, you know, the real life Battle of Algiers. This yeah. Algeria being the setting of a story of this political nature should not be lost on anybody that is aware of the real life history of Algeria. It's interesting specifically that they were even hesitant about filming in Algeria, specifically because of the Battle of Algiers. And then Algeria ended up being the country that was named for the Oscars when they won. The Battle of Algiers really cuts another great example of, I mean, there's no way to separate that film from history as it is basically a neo-realistic depiction of a 
historical event that, you know, it looks like Germany Year Zero or any other number of Italian neorealist films from the previous decade. Yeah, like uh, Rome Open City. What all of these movies speak to is the essential power that cinema has as an art form to depict history, to record history, you know, when that film is truth 24 times per second sort of way. And using that to speak truth to power, which is sort of notable whenever you have these these films that get banned because governments, people in power are concerned that these types of films will inspire the citizenry to either rebel or unionize or, you know, find some sort of solidarity. And as you and I have discussed, as you told me, you know, the Black Panthers, the Battle of Algier and Z were movies that were screened at Black Panther meetings because of their political ferocity and because of the ways that they not only spoke truth to power, but did so in a way that was grounded in history and really meticulously detailed so that what you get is not just something that's entertaining and fun to watch, but that is a true blue record of procedure and history. Both films, especially, they were viewed by the Black Panthers. They were viewed by the IRA. Battle of Algiers takes it one step further. It was actually shown at the Pentagon in 2003 when they realized that the invasion of Iraq, they were not going to be seen as heroes. This again kind of begins to unpack the political history. And we're getting, this is not Z, this is more the, the history of Algeria, but as it relates to France as a hotbed of filmmaking, for an entire generation, French films are obsessed with the Algerian war. Even in minor ways, like in the films Cleo from Five to Seven or The Umbrellas of mm-hmm. Cherbourg, where you have soldier characters who are like, I'm going to leave the picture to go be the bad guy in the Battle of Algiers. Coming back to Z, this is the style of political thriller that would become the genre film of the 1970s in America. When you're talking about J. Alan Pakula or Sidney Pollock, these super paranoid Watergate inspired political thrillers, you know, particularly something like All the President's Men feels like a movie that would not exist were it not for the films that we've been talking about. Eventually, even Costa Gavras came to America to make one of those. Um, in 1982, he directed Missing, a drama film starring Sissy Spacek and Jack Lemmon based off the disappearance of a American lawyer in Chile in the 1970s. So I actually want to draw a quick parallel to both Jackie and JFK really quickly, because I read this before I started watching Z. There was a period in time when people thought or assumed the centerpiece scene of Z, which is an attack on a political candidate, is almost eerily similar to the Zapruder film in the way that it is cut uh, together and edited and shot. Uh, according to Costa Gavras, no one on the crew had seen the Zapruder film, but you just rewatched this last night. And I was curious if you if you detect those similarities and see like kind of where people were coming from with that. The similarities are absolutely there, whether it was pure coincidence or not. There definitely is that undercurrent that makes the scene that much more electrifying. It's really the point on which everything turns up to that point. What you're getting is this extremely detailed depiction. This is the similarity to Petri's investigation of a citizen above suspicion where you are given a biopsy of an extremely convoluted fascistic government 
where everything is ruled by a given political party. And there are these tendrils of their authority that run through every part of the government and then down into the constituency, into the citizens in a way that's not just like ideological, but structural, like people are given permits to do their businesses based on whether or not they go along and get along with this military regime. And I think what it depicts throughout that entire first half of it are the extreme odds that they are up against in the second half to put forward an investigation that is thorough and honest into the attack, which we know as the viewers, they're very open with this was an attack predicated by the right wing party. There's no point when that's ambiguous to us, but what is ambiguous and left open for the duration of the film is how in a world run by this really draconian government, can you prove that they did something wrong? Particularly when your only tools of recourse are courts, which are just themselves part of the bigger state organism. Right. It's the struggle of trying to change the system while being a part of it and having your powers limited by it. Because you can see how ridiculous it gets because even the thugs who committed the crime are pretty much open about it. I think one thing that is just fascinating is as as the story goes on, you see both sides of the conflict put under pressure by the investigation. Obviously, the pressure of what we just discussed, how you prove this thing happened. Also, the witnesses to the attack are themselves being attacked throughout the film. You know, the poster is one of the characters running from a car in one of the film's like really thrilling sequences, where it's just kind of this great chase scene. But there's also a tension on the part of the state that's like, we need to keep this covered up, obviously, because they've done evil things and they're trying to cover that up. And as pressure is applied, you can kind of see the structure where you have the top and then down, 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 down it goes. And it's like, this is an organism kind of like a, like a tapeworm or something where you can cut off the bottom of it and the head will keep wiggling around so that the thugs that you're talking about, if they get caught, they're the ones that always get the stiffest sentences. And then the people above and above and above and above are like, we can just cut it off and it won't come any higher. We can just cut it off and it won't come any higher. Using that tapeworm, I don't do that unintentionally because that is something that they talk about in the Battle of Algiers. But with regards to the resistance party, how like yeah. it's it's a cell that's built that way. It's a cell that's built so that if you if you find the fifth man down, he doesn't let you get to the fourth man down. And that guy right. doesn't let you get to the third. And that guy doesn't let you get to the second. And what a monster of a structure that is to try to contend with, regardless of your military might, regardless of your tenacity, regardless of how right you are in an objective way and how well you can prove it because systems of power are designed to protect their power. See the ambiguity of the situation coming even further because there is, as we discussed, there is someone investigating, but you don't really know whose side he's on. And he doesn't really appear to be on anyone's side. So that character is a magistrate and I'm, pulling the name off because I don't want to mispronounce it. It's Jean-Louis Trin. It's, it's, it's the, it's, it's the conformist of the conformist. Yes. Uh, also in three colors red, he's in a more very famous French actor, Jean-Louis Trintignant. Yeah, I think that's right. 
I'm not uh, very good with French pronunciation. Because I don't know either. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's like Chinchignon. Regardless, uh, with that. this is actually, Costa Gavras actually talked about this because the actor loved to play ambiguous characters. Like he, that's exactly the type of acting that he liked to do. And so what Gavras did was he specifically gave him those big thick glasses that he wears. And those are like <laughs> specifically designed to make him less readable to to make him a little bit more what i like about his character is that he almost represents the system as like a neutral entity where he's really hard-nosed you see him kind of press against both sides of the investigation where you know you have like the right-wing party that's in power and he, throughout the film he does certain things that make you think like, oh yeah he really he's really out to get these guys but then he snaps back at the opposition party, the left-wing party, on multiple occasions, too. And yeah. so, I mean, until the very end of the movie, there's just no way to know, particularly, again, because the court is part of that state system. And you're like, is he in the pocket of these guys? Is he his own interest? Is he in there? And what, <laughs> what's going on with him? And it's, it's probably one of the greatest sources of tension in the entire film. Everything else is either passionately one side or the other side there's almost no middle ground in this movie because it's like everything's kind of been bought up by the right-wing party in power and they're part of their you're either part of that structure or you find that structure intimidating or despicable and then you react to that some way there's no room for centrism here and what little room there is for centrism disappears over the course of the film it becomes increasingly divided between left and right, not unlike what was happening across Europe in the 1960s, not unlike what was happening in America in the late 60s, the Vietnam War protests, the election of Richard Nixon. I think in a real way, this battle of Z is kind of, it ends up being defined by the people who are in the middle. And that means on one hand, the thugs that actually perpetrate the crime, who we kind of find out are bought off. You know, they, they yeah. didn't do this. There's a whole group of people that are part of a very nationalistic organization, which we see in the opening scene of the film. And we, we find out that they're just not all necessarily true believers in that organization. Some of them are there to get their palms greased a little bit, like we would see with like, I don't know, Oscar Schindler in Schindler's List. Like he's not a Nazi because he has Nazi beliefs. He's a Nazi because they were the ruling power and he was a businessman, that type of thing. But yeah. then we also see on the other side of that, one of the key witnesses is one of my favorite characters in this movie. He's like, I don't, I don't have a political side. I just like soccer. <laughs> like, I just, but he ends up because he is a witness. He is like a critical piece of the puzzle of the opposition mm -hmm. to solve this because he feels compelled to do what is right. And I think that's a really big part of the political message of this movie. You cannot stand on the sidelines or history will roll us all over because it takes every single one of us to stand up to them. It takes every single one of us to, you know, one of the things that I watched right before this movie, another movie that's a really good cross-section of its history is the Ray film, The Big City, which mm -hmm. ends on this note of the husband saying to himself and to his wife yeah. that earning our daily bread has made us cowards. Just going along to get along isn't enough to make the world a better place or to make our lives as full as they can be. You can't just let people get away with things that are wrong because you're scared of the consequences, things like that. And that's, that's a movie that does that in a really minor way. And this movie, Z, is like, if you don't do it, 
the worst people in the world will be in power and bad things will happen to good people. And to people who are kind of gray will, will become compromised by that type of thing, as we see with the thugs, because I think that this movie has a lot of empathy for them. I think it has a lot of empathy for the plight of Greek working class individuals who were manipulated and used by this military regime. They were caught in a situation that they had pretty much no way out of. And because of that, they ended up just going along with it. And this is, they were in that situation after, again, like a Nazi occupation and multiple decades of, it's just, yeah, of crisis, of war, occupation, political strife. Like this fascistic regime is probably the best government the people living at the time had ever been a constituent of or ever been a part of because at least they were fed, at least they had jobs. You know, like this was a relative improvement to their situation as grim and as ugly as that sounds. They understood that things could be worse than this and thus they settled for something that was very bad. Power of fascism comes from justifying it to yourself. You can just keep on telling yourself over and over, at least he's not the other guy. In that way, films that are based on the history of fascism and history in general are extremely vital because they force people to visually confront the realities of fascism, to encounter the absurd logic of a film like Investigation of a Citizen Above Suspicion, to encounter, oh my gosh, the French aren't the good guys in the Battle of Algiers, to confront what the Nazis did in Poland and in the concentration camps to confront what America does in the Vietnam War through films like Born on the Fourth of July and The Five Bloods. That is the power of this exact type of film because you cannot hide from it. You cannot look the other way when someone shows you the truth on a screen in front of your face. It's impossible. And I think of a movie that I watched for the first time a couple years ago, which is an Italian film by Liliana Cavani, who all of her films are deeply political, as was the case with a lot of Italian directors in the 60s and 70s. And she made a made-for-television film called Women of the Resistance, which is about women in Italy who resisted the fascist regime during World War II, Mussolini's regime. And I remember it just being this gripping, powerful experience because as much as I've ever understood about history, this was still uncovering things that were not publicized to the West, things that were not really told to anybody outside of Italy, which is how fascism thrives, is in the darkness like that. The reason that people go along with it is because the trains are running on time and they're fed and they have jobs and because all the nasty shit is happening in some back room they can't see. Which, again, just reinforces the, the unique ability of a camera to shine a light in the darkness like that. Yeah, that's why Mussolini was able to get away with it for so long until the whole thing fell apart and he ended up being hung in the public square. We also necessarily know that films can be used for propagandistic purposes. All these different mm-hmm. countries had censors and so they also had propaganda films and the Nazis were really Joseph Goebbels, Triumph of the Will, things of that nature. And so we understand the ability of filmmaking to kind of obscure the truth and show you images that you believe, even if they're manipulative and wrong. The movies like Z and novels like Z that depict history in all of its ugly honesty, I think, you know, they were important in that time and they're important now. Important to show the truth as much as you can, you know, 
propaganda is its own beast. Um, you know, the Nazis had their own propaganda. The Soviets had their propaganda films. America especially had a ton of propaganda films during World War II and even onwards. But something like Z can start a fire. It's been a really interesting month because Z is just one of many movies that I've watched that has been historical. And particularly thinking about this conversation, you can get into this, this realm of like, every movie is a little bit of a historical biopsy. Like Riley and I just did a podcast on Red Rocket, and that's a movie that's very defined by contemporary American history, 2016. There's like news segments and stuff that are in it. Very much. One of the things I watched, uh, Hitchcock's The Lady Vanishes. I'm sure you've seen that. And it's just like, super politically driven i've never seen like a political Hitchcock <laughs> yeah. before you know it's a it's a cool month to get to watch z and i really enjoyed getting to have this conversation with you because it's just once you start thinking about the history of one movie you start thinking about how does this apply to every movie no matter what it is i mean probably not if you're watching like venom let there be carnage is there like necessarily a ton of cultural history but it especially when you're watching anything that is like a couple of decades removed from where you currently are. You're just sort of looking at this visual time capsule of a time and a place and politics and culture. And I love movies like Z that take it the extra step and give you more information that give you a more defined perspective. And in some cases, maybe even kind of give you something actionable, give you something like to walk away from the movie thinking, not that everything is doomed, but that there is a better way forward. Movies do not exist in a vacuum. There's always context behind them. Even something like Venom, Let There Be Carnage has context. You know, what does it say about audiences, particularly American audiences in the early 2020s? What does it say about the obsession with sequels? What does it say about the obsession with superhero movies, specifically with Marvel Comics, specifically with Spider-Man related characters? You know, what does it have to say about that? And a movie like Z brings in a ton of context immediately, and it might be difficult to figure out on a first watch, but if you know a little bit and you do some research, it becomes that much more powerful. To that end, I just would say to anybody that is, if you're watching movies on the Criterion channel, or if you purchase your DVDs or Blu-rays from Criterion or Kino Lorber or Arrow Video, all of these types of things have great special features on them, commentaries, short interviews, long documentaries, short films at times, things that will give you an even greater appreciation for the context of the films. You know, Criterion's obviously, you know, they all come with those essays. Read the essays. Yeah. Like, they're so rewarding. I, I brought up Liliana Kamani, one of the movies of hers that I love that you've also watched is The Night Porter. And that was like a movie that I found a little beguiling. And then I read that essay and then watched yeah. it and I was like, I love this. This is incredible. <laughs> because when people talk about the history that you maybe didn't know, it just sort of reinforces the importance of film as a document of all the things that we've been talking about. Culture, politics, history, human nature, human psychology, all types of things. And that's the beauty of Blu-rays and DVDs and home entertainment is that they can package all that history and context and give it to you. But I would also recommend don't be afraid to seek it out on your own, you know, especially like a lot of DVDs and Blu-rays from major American studios nowadays don't really have that many bonus features on it, maybe like a commentary and that's it. But don't be afraid to, you know, dig out more history and to research and find what you find interesting about the context of whatever movie you're watching. 
different historical events obviously are so big and so important. You know, everybody's seen more than one World War II movie, for instance, that whatever historical event you're talking about, there's almost certainly more films, more novels, more research that you can kind of get into and really broaden and I would say challenge perspectives. Like that's how you kind of can know the difference between a movie like Z, which is really honest and really accurate versus maybe watching something that probably wouldn't make the Criterion channel because it was a less accurate representation of that time. It was less incisive, that type of thing. And getting all of those types of perspectives, I think just kind of highlights the ones that are great, highlights the stuff that works and gives you a really much broader and more complete idea of what was going on. You know, one of the most important movie watching experiences of my entire life was watching the Belarusian film Come and See, because I had seen enough World War II media to understand that it was a harrowing event due to the Holocaust and a harrowing event because war is always harrowing. But I had never seen anything from that, you know, not even this, not even the Russian perspective, but like another Soviet country going through all those things because it just characterizes a conflict that you think you understand everything about in a totally new way. And the power of that movie really comes from exposing you to the true horrors of what was going on for everyday people who got caught up in it. And there's a million different points of view on everything. So mm-hmm. take it as much as you can. Yep, absolutely. Uh, so yeah, I think that pretty much wraps us on Z. Cole, have you seen anything good recently or is there anything that you're going to see that you're excited for? Uh, more recently, uh, I guess we could talk about, oh wait, you haven't seen Scream, have you? I haven't seen Scream. I don't know what I'm going to get to. I do know this. I'm going to see a couple of Almodovar films soon. One of them is All About My Mother, which is going to be screening in 35 millimeter. And then Parallel Mothers, of course, has been, like, it's been out, Parallel Mothers has been out for like a week. I just need to get out to go see it. Have you seen A Hero yet? That dropped on Amazon today. Asgar Farhadi's a hero. I can watch it now. (laughs) Do so. It's one of my favorites of the last year. It's really, I mean, Asgar Farhadi just, has he ever missed? No. Not a single time. I don't think so. Yeah. All right, Cole, this has been a lot of fun. Thanks so much for the recommendation. Thanks for coming on and talking about Z. Thank you. It was a lot of fun. 